So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought this to yourself. I, I have, and so I'm just going to speak from my own experience, and, and I'm sure that it'll resonate with some of you in some capacity or another. Um, but especially during these just uncertain times where we just don't know, like, what's, gonna, what's coming next? Like, 2020 is a dumpster fire. We all get that. We know that. Uh, we don't know how big the flames are going to get before it's over. Uh, but we're, we're just in a crazy time. And, and because of that, there's, there's a lot of anxiety at, at times in our lives just without knowing what to expect and what's going on. And because of that, I think a lot of times I question why would Jesus ever want to use me with all the mess that's in my life, with all the, uh, the anxiety or, or confusion or, or even sinful responses to things that I, that I encounter, why would Jesus use me uh, to advance his mission in any meaningful way? I, I don't know if, if you've ever woken up and thought, had those thoughts where you've looked at your life in honesty and, and gone, man, why would Jesus love me? Why would he use me? Why would, I mean, we're just such, we're such a mess or um, I, I just don't know that I have what it takes to keep on keeping on with this Jesus thing. I, I think in our darker moments, uh, we can get there where we just don't feel like we have uh, what, what it takes to keep following Jesus. And, and you know, that's, that's not a pleasant place to be, but it's a reality and it's a reality that the word of God speaks into. Um, life is often disrupted by uncertainty. And I, and I think COVID has clearly shown us that. Um, but what's amazing is, is that the Bible tells us that too. Paul's own experience in 2 Corinthians is going to show us that life can be disrupted by uncertainty. And I've, already, I've already said that I, I don't pastor, I'm not a pastor so that I can be some expert on public health. That's not my expertise, but somehow I've been thrown into that and gone, I have to now know things that I didn't study <laughs> or, or have any expertise in. Um, and so, I, you know, we, we, we just are, we're living in uncertain times and that has disrupted things. Um, and maybe in your life, you know, maybe you don't have the, the same pressures that other people have um, on decision-making, but you do have your own struggles and your own pressures, um, it could be that you're just overwhelmed in your life by the amount of things you have to get through. It could be that you're plagued by self-doubt or um, maybe even worse than that, maybe you're plagued by self-loathing. Um, and there, there are things that the gospel needs to do in your life to speak into that. It, it could be that you look at your life and you see, man, I am a hypocrite, um, and, and, and pretty soon everybody's going to catch on to that. I've been there too. So whatever, whatever particular flavor of insecurity you carry with you, and we all have insecurities. I think if we say we don't, we're, we're really deceiving ourselves. We've all got insecurities. Whatever that is in your life, every Christian should, should identify with that, understand that, have lived through that. And, and at times, I think every one of us in the Christian life have wondered whether we have what it takes to live an authentic, selfless, Christ-like life. So here, here's the good news and all that downer stuff that I've just laid out. Um, the good news is that you don't have what it takes. Neither do I. 
you might go, that's still not good news. Um, well, here's, here it is, though. We have to get there because when we get there, then we realize, finally, that I don't have what it takes, but Jesus does. Jesus has what it takes. And, and that's our hope. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our ability to, to pull something off in our lives. It's, our hope is in Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. This passage is going to give us a clear, compelling reason why we don't need to be crippled by our shame, by our, our embarrassment, or, or by fear. We don't need to be crippled in the midst of uncertainty um, because God uses those things to draw us to him and to show us that despite our many flaws, we can continue serving Christ. We can do that by sharing the gospel, no matter what may come into our lives. That's where we're at, and that's what we're going to see in this text. So if you want to look at verse 12, 12 and 13, Paul's going to set up the context for, for where we're going, and he's going to do that by talking about his own life, something that happened to him. Now, he's writing these words, and he's looking back at what happened. Right, So he's got some time to, to reflect on what happened. And, and I don't think he's talking here about what he felt in the moment, but I think he's reflecting on what had happened and then uh, speaking Christ into those things. So look at verse 12 and 13. Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. All right, so that, that's, that's the backdrop to what Paul's going to talk about in just the next uh, number of verses. But let's just unpack what he's saying. He's talking about his journey. He, he's going on this trip to Macedonia. Um, the Macedonian church, well, he's going to reference them again in chapters 8 and 9 of this letter. Um, but the Macedonians were very, very uh, impoverished, poor church. Um, they, were, they were really hurting financially. Um, and he's going to talk about that more as we get through this. But, but he's on his way there. And because he didn't have airplanes, he didn't have cars, uh, he's traveling either by foot or by horseback or something. So there's a lot of like, you got to stop at different places. He stops in the city called Troas and, and Paul begins to do what Paul always does. He begins to preach the gospel. He's in this new city that he's never been before, probably. He begins to talk about Christ. And it says that there was a door opened for me in the Lord as he preached the gospel. But notice what verse 13 says. He says, my spirit, even though there was a door open, my spirit was not at rest. So, so Paul's expressing to us here something that we, we need to understand. Paul experienced what we would, we would term this as anxiety. He was, he was just unsettled. He was just unable to really uh, focus on the task in front of him. Here he was, he had this open door to the gospel, which most, most people think he's referring to people's reception to the message. People were hearing about Jesus. They were responding to him. They were coming to him in faith and belief. And so even though a door was opened, he couldn't focus on that 
because he had this unrest in his spirit. He's distracted. And, and he gives us the reason why he was distracted. He says it's because I did not find my brother Titus there. So why is Paul so worked up over not seeing Titus? What's going on there? Um, well, I don't think it has as much to do with Titus himself as it does what Titus was going to bring. Titus was left back in Corinth. So, so he's writing to the Corinthians. He, he leaves Corinth and, and chooses not to go back there, as we saw a couple weeks ago. Um, even though he could have stopped in Corinth, he chooses not to go there because he didn't want to continue to hurt the church. They, they were emotionally banged up from the last meeting that, that Paul had with them. So he doesn't go there, but he sends Titus. And Titus goes to, to Corinth. And so now Paul is basically waiting for Titus to give him news about Corinth. So this is, this is where Paul's at. He's just distracted. He can't see the open door that's in front of him to preach the gospel in Troas because he's so worked up and anxious about the church in Corinth. He's got to wait for news. And because Titus didn't meet him there in Troas, he probably assumed, well, Titus has to come through here anyways, so we'll probably be able to meet up. But again, no cell phones, no emails, no way to actually communicate with people back then aside from just waiting around. It's kind of like when I was growing up and you know, my dad would work, uh, drive about, he had about an hour long commute each way to work um, when I was growing up. And so there were times when we'd get, we'd get sit down to dinner and we didn't have cell phones. So we just had the landlines, you know. And so my mom would call the office uh, that my dad worked at and was like, well, he's not there. So he must be coming. Ah, he'll be here sometime, right? That was just how we assumed things were. Now it doesn't work that way because it's like we text someone 30 seconds, we don't get a response, we assume they're dead. Um, that's just like we've been conditioned that way. Well, Paul obviously didn't have any of those means of communication. So he's just like really working himself up and, and eventually just decides, okay, I got to leave Troas. I can't stay here. I can't keep doing this. I just got to go to Macedonia because I know Titus is going to get to Macedonia eventually. It's an interesting thing because Paul is being really honest here. I think one of the, I've mentioned this in, in past weeks on this book, but I love 2 Corinthians because Paul is so brutally honest. He just tells us what he's struggling with. And I think we think about Paul sometimes as a super Christian who never had any problems, but he, he did. And, and he's honest about them in this letter. And so he's talking about his anxiety about the church in Corinth. In fact, later in this book, he's going to mention how he has anxiety for all the churches. He just really loves the churches that he's been, in, been able to minister to. And he's, he's deeply concerned about them. And Corinth in particular. Corinth was probably number one on his list of churches he was worried about. And so he begins the, this passage by talking about that unsettled feeling and the reason that he's unsettled is because his world was upended. He didn't run into Titus when he expected to. So he couldn't, he had blinders on. He couldn't see clearly what God was doing. And again, he's writing this now after the fact. So after the fact, he can go, okay, God had opened a door for me in Troas and I didn't take advantage of it because, because he was concerned. And so he's, he's there. And now you and I, Man, we probably won't experience the exact same thing. Um, you know, this is Paul's deal. Like, we're, we're probably not going to have the exact same problems. But, 
but we understand the, the, the underlying issue can definitely be understood and experienced by us where we can feel like we're struggling to keep our footing because the situations around us are not what we expect. Whether that's a health scare in your life or in a loved one's life or whether that's a job lost or whether that's just a cultural craziness like we're in now. When things don't work out the way we expect them to, we get anxious and we get concerned and we start to lose sight of things. Paul, Paul understood that. And I think in some sense, I, I could be wrong about this, I, I you know, certainly could be misinterpreting this, but I think um, there's, enough, there's enough evidence here that would suggest that Paul, in reflecting on this whole thing with the Troas situation, I think Paul's probably looking back on this situation and going, you know what, I failed there. I failed. I mean, he, he says, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. So he's, he's looking back and he's going, you know, I missed an opportunity. I think Paul probably feels a little bit like a failure as he looks back on this. I think you and I can get that too, right? We, don't we feel like failures at different times in our lives? But here's the important thing. We, the story doesn't end here. Paul doesn't just close that out and that's where he lands. No, Paul doesn't want him or us to wallow in self-pity. He doesn't want us to swim in our failures. What does Paul do here? He pivots and he pivots to Jesus. That's the very next verse in verse 14. He begins verse 14 with this word, this transitional word, but. So he's, he's saying, okay, yeah, that was a problem. All that stuff in Troas didn't work out the way that it should have worked out. But here's some good news. He's going to pivot immediately over here. And here's what he says. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. We're going to keep reading in a moment, but let's just stop there. Because this is the, this is the heart of Paul's passage for us. That, that yes, our lives can be upended, our lives can, can be um, uncertain, we can fall into these, these traps that we set for ourselves. Yes, all that's true, but let's be thankful to God for something. And here's what Paul says we should thank God for, that in Christ, we are always led in triumphal procession. Now, what does that mean? What's he talking about here? Well, that phrase triumphal procession is a, is a reference to something the Corinthians would have well understood. We, culturally speaking, may not understand it as well, um, but it's a, it, it's a reference to this thing that happened in Rome. Um, we have about 300 or more um, examples of this throughout the Greco-Roman literature that still exists. Um, and it's this thing called the, the pompa triumphalis, which is a Latin phrase um, that means essentially, literally, it just means victory parade. Um, a pompa, it would be a, a parade and triumphalist, triumph, right, victory. Um, we, we get that. So Paul's talking here as, 
as he's talking about our role with Jesus and our life in Jesus, he's saying Jesus leads us in this victory parade. What, what was that about? See, his people in Corinth would have gotten that. What he's talking about is um, a parade that would have been held um, by the, the Roman leaders and, and it would have been thrown for a general, like the center of the parade is a general who defeated a conquer and conquered a foreign, uh, foreign country in battle. The Roman Empire spread its it's uh, spread so far and so wide by taking over other countries. And I know that doesn't sit well with our 21st century sensibilities, but that was most of human history, okay? I know we get all, I know we want to throw, you know, throw down the Christopher Columbus statues and all that stuff. But listen, that was the world. That's what people did. People went somewhere, they said, it's mine now, I'm going to take it. That's the world. That's how it was. Um, good or bad, whatever, but that's how it was. So in the, in the Roman world, they would take, they would just go in, have a battle, fight for a country, and they would take it if they won. And when they would win, this general would be thrown a huge parade through the streets of Rome. And that, so Paul's pointing them back to this picture. It would have been understood and he probably even, perhaps even seen with their own eyes, um, where they have this picture now of Jesus as this conquering general who has overcome all of our enemies. And of course, our enemies aren't political or geographical enemies. Our enemies are spiritual, right? Sin, Satan, death, all the things that the Bible says Jesus conquers for us. So when Paul's looking at his life, he's looking at it through that lens. He's going, Okay, I failed in Troas, but thanks be to God because he leads us in triumphal procession. He, the, the victory is in Christ. The battle has been won in Christ. My individual failures and flaws don't stop Jesus from being victorious. He, he's... he's pointing us back to the victory of Jesus Christ at the cross and in the resurrection. So that's the thing, right? Is that if Jesus is victorious over all the things that are wrong in this world, no matter what happens in life, at that point, no matter what happens in life, we can keep our eyes fixed on him because he's never going to be defeated. We may be defeated on individual level, but the, the broader war has already been won. Jesus is our victory. And so that's where Paul goes. Because in the midst of our failures and our flaws and our sin and all the ways that we, that we mess up this whole thing, instead of wallowing in that, instead of swimming in that pool of failure, we can pivot to Jesus and we can keep moving forward. We can keep moving forward. We can pick, be picked back up again by Christ and continue on. That's where he goes from here. Look at verse 14, second half of it. It says that we're led in triumphal procession. And then it says, And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him, of Jesus, everywhere. 
For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. Um, so this is an interesting thing that Paul's pointing back to. And it does, I think it does relate directly to the same imagery of the parade. So um, this, this Roman parade would have a number of elements to it. Uh, it would start with people carrying painted pictures of the battle because most of the people in the city didn't experience the battle. So they had paintings of the battle that would lead out. And then from there, um, you would have the conquered people. Oh no, excuse me. Right after that, you'd have bulls that they would bring out to be sacrificed to their false gods. Then you would have the conquered people. They're coming in right, at, right behind the bulls because they're also going to be now they're going to be killed at the end of the parade. It's a super happy parade. But um, all these conquered generals and, and soldiers that they captured would be led through the streets in shame. And then behind them, there were these people carrying incense and this fragrance. And that's what Paul's referring to. See, Paul puts us in this parade, according to this text, he's putting us as the people that are bringing out the, the fragrance of either victory or death, depending on where you stand with Jesus. He says, we are the fragrance and the knowledge of him. We're the aroma of Christ to God. And so he's referring to these, these people who would carry this incense that would be burning and pluming smoke throughout the streets with its fragrance. And if you're one of the captured people that lost the battle, that smell doesn't like make you happy. <laughs> Right? It makes you miserable because you know what the, where your end is going to be. But if you're behind them where the general is or where the soldiers are, that smell brings about this, this triumph. This, it just reinforces this triumph. And you know how smells can just bring back memories, right? I mean, it's just so crazy. You smell something. Um, so just an example, I, uh, our, the little church we, we use in White Lake for our services out there, uh, I walked in there. And it just like, it smelled exactly like the little Baptist church I grew up in as a kid. It was weird. I was like, I was brought back instantly to that. I'm like, what is it? Is it the pews? What, what is the, I don't know what this, I don't know where the smell comes from, but there's this like, there was a smell that just brought me back to my childhood church. Um, and so it's an interesting thing. And what Paul's saying here is that we are not the general, right? Jesus is, is the general. We're not even the soldiers, who are, who are walking behind him having helped win the battle. That's not where Paul puts us in the parade. We're not necessarily, although I think you can make a case for it, we're not the de defeated people, right? although there is a case to be made maybe for that. But where Paul puts us, if you just read the plain teaching of the text, is we're, we're just the fragrance. What does the fragrance have to do? Literally nothing just exists, right? That's, that's just super comforting and encouraging because it, it means that we don't have to have this huge role to play for God to use us. We don't have to have much skill for God to use us. We don't have to have any talent for God to use us. He chooses to use us just because he loves us. We are uh, in that role. And so that frees us. It frees us up to just be on mission for Jesus. I find that so encouraging because Paul's saying, man, 
all we are, we get to just spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus. Our lives are, are just supposed to reflect him in that way. It doesn't mean we, have, we don't have to have a lot of skill. We don't have to have a lot of knowledge. We, we don't have to have it all figured out. We just have to show up and be there. Christ is the one who has done all the work. He's the center of the parade that's going through the streets. He's the general that has won victory. Um, we just get to be the incense that floats around and reminds people of him. Really what this means is all we have to do is live in light of the accomplishments that Christ gave for us. We have to live in his accomplishments. And, and even that, but even that can seem overwhelming. Right? Just, okay, all I am is just some fragrance. Like, it's not, that's not much. But even that can seem like that's too much. Because how, what if my life smells more like a dead skunk to someone than to a, you know, some, like a new fresh batch of cookies or, or bacon or something, you know, right? Like what, that can feel overwhelming. And that's where Paul goes in the very next line. He says, so to one we're a fragrance from death to death. People who are, who are outside of Christ don't smell this fragrance as a good thing. They smell it as a bad thing. The other smells this as life to life. But then Paul asks this question at the very end of 16. Who is sufficient for these things? Like we're not even sufficient to be that. That's what he's saying. Who, who is sufficient for these things? And I think that's where we can where we can camp as well. Where, where again, we can just kind of become overwhelmed with, oh man, I, I just can't live up to this. I can't do this. I'm... Paul, Paul raises that issue and he's going to answer that, that question for us as we keep going. But look at, let's just keep reading. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? For you yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul, Paul goes from here to say, all right, who's sufficient for these things? And then, then Paul goes, we're not like other people, peddlers of God's word. So what does he mean by that? Well, in that culture, uh, in the Roman world, there would be these traveling preachers and philosophers who would go around and they would charge people money to hear what they have to say. And Paul's saying, we're not like that. We're not going around charging admission for people to listen to us talk. We just have sincere hearts. We just want people to meet Jesus. That's what we're about. And, and then he pivots away from that and goes, oh, but just in case you think I'm bragging here, I'm not bragging. <laughs> I'm not here to commend myself. I don't need letters of recommendation to you or from you. 
He's saying, I'm, I'm not here to boast. I'm not here to brag. I'm just here to show up and tell people who Jesus is. And then he says in verse 3 that all of this is to show that you, the Corinthians, he's saying, are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. He's saying, man, I don't, have, I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to impress anybody. I just want you to know that you are loved. I care for you and you're written on my hearts. He's expressing his, his love for these people. And so then he goes in verse four. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. What confidence? The confidence that he's talking about is his humble and sincere love for the churches and the people in Corinth. He says, that's our confidence. Verse 5, this is the key where he answers the question at the end of verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? He answers in verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that our confidence and our, and our sufficiency to do the mission that God has given to us is not dependent on our ability to do all the right things, right? We can't, we can't keep the law perfectly. We can't have any like full and complete obedience to what God wants. That is a, that's, that's a mission that we just cannot live on, but that's not where our hope is. Our hope is in God who makes us sufficient by the Spirit of God, empowering us and, and working in us to, to do what he wants with us. So, this is, the, this is just going back to this whole thing about the incense and the fragrance thing, right? The fragrance is going to be used by God however he wants to use it. It's going to be interpreted by the people who smell that fragrance uh, however God wants to work in them. It's not on us to be, to be all, all that Jesus is. It's on us simply to be faithful and to be used by him. Amen, we... We can feel totally inadequate for even that. But that's what Christ has called us to. So, so let me just give you some encouragement in this. And, and I think this passage is one of the most freeing passages in the New Testament. Because it's telling us that, that God's work in people's lives through us is not at all about us. It's not about our personalities. It's not about our giftedness. It's not about our knowledge. Our sufficiency or our ability to, to be on this mission isn't based on us. It's based on the fragrance of Christ, which God himself spreads through the gospel. God just takes us and uses us. That's why it's so freeing and encouraging because it guards us from thinking too highly of ourselves as if God needs me to do what God wants to do. God doesn't need me for anything. 
It's humbling that he wants to use me and use you, but he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God, God literally, Jesus told the Pharisees, if you guys didn't, you know, cry out in worship, then the rocks would do it for you. God doesn't need us for anything. God, God can pull, pull praise from rocks and trees if he chooses to, but he chooses to use his people instead. So this frees us from thinking too highly of ourselves, but it also helps us to understand that Jesus wants to use us and he's going to use us however he chooses to do that. This passage reminds us ultimately that, that God works to bring people to life in Christ through the power of the gospel worked by the Spirit and, and that the Lord has already won the battle. He's won the victory. He's defeated sin. He's, he's accomplished all of this for us. And so we just get to be like around and used we don't need skill or knowledge, although that certainly can help. But we don't need anything. Uh, ultimately, we don't have to have our lives completely figured out. God uses us in our, in our brokenness right where we are. And all we really need is to need Jesus a lot. And as we get there, he'll use us. He'll use us. I, I don't know about you, and maybe this is true in your life. It's, I think it's been true in my life where you just think, you know, I'm just in such a bad place. How could God want to use me? And it's often in those times when you're in that spot that God actually does use you in a meaningful way. And then what, what do we, how do we respond to that? We respond by going, whoa, well, thanks, Jesus. That was really nice of you to do that because I'm a total wreck but you're going to use it. I, I think that's, that's where our hope needs to be. It's not in us having everything figured out. It's not in us being perfect people. It's in the fact that Jesus is our sufficiency. It's in the fact that Jesus has accomplished everything for us. And remember, that's the whole thing of the gospel, right? That we say this all the time, Jesus lived a perfect life uh, not just to do it, but to be a perfect life for you. Because I can't live a perfect life, you can't live a perfect life, but Jesus did it for us. And, and then he went to the cross of, of Christ and he died in the place of sinners, though he wasn't a sinner. Right, So he died my death and he died your death after having lived a perfect life that I couldn't live and that you couldn't live. And then he's raised from the dead on the third day to, to once and for all put the, put the final touches on the defeat of Satan and death and sin itself. Jesus did all of this because we couldn't do any of it. And so then, so then that's, we have to ask the question, why is it that once we become Christians, do we suddenly start thinking, okay, now it's all on me to do this? If becoming a Christian wasn't all on you because God had to do everything for you, then why is living the Christian life all on you? It's not. It's not. That's the point. It's the sufficiency of Christ that we, that we are given by grace that qualifies us for the mission. It's not in ourselves. That's why Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 3, 
um, or in verse 5 and 6, we don't claim sufficiency as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient. That is freedom right there. That's freedom. Be, be encouraged in this because God is going to use you if, you're, if you are open to being used. He will use you. And he will make people, um, he will just open up every door for you just as he has for Paul. Even in, even in our brokenness and our mess, Jesus graciously uses us. And let's be thankful for that. I think we need to hear that because our lives are so uh, just uncertain these days. A lot of uncertainty. But we can pivot away from our anxiety, look to Jesus, and see him as our victorious king as he is. All right, let me pray for us. And we'll, we'll continue to worship today. Uh, Father, we thank you for the sufficiency that we have in Christ. It's not on us. Um, it's all you, Lord, that works and, and empowers us. So we pray we would just trust you, that we would lean into you, that we would be um, just instruments in your hands, Father, that we would simply be the fragrance of Christ uh, and, and that, we would, that we would see you do some amazing things through that. We'll ask you, Lord, to, to encourage us now and to help us as we uh, respond to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.